So we want to welcome all of you once again to another uh, Keep Calm Advent on Conversation on this, the 2nd of July, 2021, year of our Lord. Uh, we are officially, officially halfway through the year, okay? I, I, like literally halfway through the year, because I think at the end of June marks six months, we are beginning the seventh month, which means that this is absolutely insane, but the year is half done. Guys, I, I don't know about you guys. I'm excited about that because that just means we are six months away from Christmas. I'll admit it, whatever. All right. And uh, also five months away from my birthday, uh, but no one's counting. Ah. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I'm counting. I'm counting. I admit that. Anyways, uh, Jason, Andrew, what's up? How are you guys doing? Good, good. My question is, are we six months away from COVID? Because <laughs> oh, I, hey. I, I see everyone all taking their masks off. Man, I, I, I enter the stores now. I'm like, whoa, like no one is wearing their mask now. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so, uh, I, I don't know. Last weekend when I was out, when I was out um, with my wife and her family, um, it, I'm not going to lie, it felt great feeling, well, I guess you could say normal. Like if things are back to normal, no one wearing masks, everything was just normal. No, no, you because even now when you go into the store, you can kind of feel that tension and see the tension in people's faces when you have no mask on. Um, but over the, where we were at in New Mexico, it was it was fine. It felt normal. Things felt normal. I don't know. I don't know. I I kind of I got this feeling of like a calm before the storm. Like, like you know, like like you know how you're reading the news articles and they're talking about the Delta variant and all these different things. And I I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. I just feel like summer is going to be great. And then all of a sudden we're going to get hammered again with COVID. I hope not, but it's okay. But it's okay. Hey guys, look, it's fine. If should it happen, we got five words for everyone. Anyways, keep calm and have it on, right? We got the best advice in the world. Anyways, uh, we want to welcome all of you that are, are maybe if you're not watching us live, you're going to be watching us later. You're listening to us on Spotify. We want to thank you for joining us once again. Uh, you know, we, again, we cannot begin a, a keep calm Avenal conversation without Jessica telling us happy Sabbath. It's official. We can begin now. We're good. We can begin. Uh, and same thing for anybody else that may be watching us live. Um, I, I understand, you know, we're still uh, be, because of the time, because of the sunset hours, all those things, six o'clock becomes a weird time, but you know, it is what it is. Now, as many of you may be noticing, we're missing a fourth member again. Last week it was Jason. And by the way, Jason, I'll never get used to you saying, uh, you know, my, uh, my wife and I, and you know, we were out with this and that. It's just, it's just weird. bro. It's just weird. I'm still getting used to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And look, and it's crazy for me because I married you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, like what's going on, but I, I still can't, but anyways, uh, hey, Jason, I'm, 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 wait, yeah. I'm waiting for uh, my son and I, or my daughter and I. Oh man. <laughs> hey, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah. hold on, no, now, um, Jason last week was with his wife and his family. They were out and about. He did chime in a little bit on the chat. If you guys remember, but this week, Martin is actually in camp meeting. And that means that he will not be able to join us today. Uh, apparently they got him like moving chairs and like cleaning, cleaning windows and stuff like that. Like he's super busy out there and I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, we, we know he's doing good stuff. Actually, he was preaching the other day. If you get a chance, New York conference, they're having their camp meeting, some very good sermons out there. I've been listening to them. Uh, shout out to what they're doing out there. Uh, but it's three of us. It's the, uh, the original jam, I guess. Um, not necessarily in the order you see on the screen, but, uh, we are here ready for another 
conversation. And once again, if you are watching us live, we thank you. Give us a shout out. You know, happy Sabbath, happy Friday, wherever you may be at this time. Um, let us know that you're watching. Also, we remind you, right? Uh, we post what's coming up in Instagram. We also have this going on in Facebook and in YouTube. So don't forget to share. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe. And you can listen to us on Spotify in case you're, you aren't able to get through the whole conversation or if you just want to listen to it again afterwards, this is the chance. This is your opportunity to do so. So, um, Andrew, oh, I thought you were going to say something, brother. Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say it. And make sure you hit that follow on Spotify. It helps our analytics quotation marks. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know what to make with that, but I, but I hear you, man. Hey, it, just, what, it just helps us understand who's, uh, who's watching, what's, uh, what uh, uh topics they like what, what, what route we can go with our next uh, topics pretty much for sure for sure and and speaking of topics yeah so today we got an interesting one i think um and and this this is kind of like a like a conversation that that comes off that branches off what we talked about last week if you were with us last week or if you listened to us uh for our last conversation we talked about contradictions in the Bible, specifically contradictions in the narrative of the Bible, right? The things that we see in the gospel, sometimes that they don't match up or sometimes in like the Chronicles and the Kings and things like that. But today's conversation branches off of that. And now we want to get a little bit more theological with you. We want to get a little bit more God-centered with you. We want to get into the God talk is what we want to do. And we're having a conversation again on contradictions, except that this one has to do with God. And uh, as many of you may have seen, the title of today's conversation is I Changed My Mind, and this is literally God speaking. All right. And so uh, we're going to see where this goes. We think it's going to be a good conversation. It's going to be something that we hope that all of you will be able to get something out of. But it's also it will also bring up some interesting questions about God. And we're going to jump straight into it. And so, um, Jason, will you lead us in a word of prayer before we enter into this conversation today? Yes, sir. Let's pray, guys. Father God, I want to thank you, Lord, so much for another day of life. Thank you for protecting us up until this moment, Lord, and for allowing us to, to be able to, to host uh, Keep Coming Out Advent on, Lord. I pray, Lord, that this topic that we're about to to have, to that we're about to speak, Lord, that it, that it bring light onto something that a lot of people always ponder, a lot of people always question, and something that sometimes confuses others. Um, I pray, Lord, that this may be helpful to whoever watches this, whoever will watch this, that it will be help helpful for them in their spiritual life, Lord. I ask for all these things in your name I pray. Amen. 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 Uh, thank you, Jason, for that. Uh, again, today's conversation is titled, I Changed My Mind, Quoting God Here. And, and we're going to jump into this. But by the way, again, if you're watching us live, give us a shout out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, definitely share it with somebody, uh, get your Bibles ready. This is, this is, get your popcorn ready as well for that matter. You know, cause I think, I think this is going to be good. Uh, and we hope it will be a blessing. So guys, look again, we spoke about contradictions last week, but this week, this week, we want to talk about those moments where you kind of look at God and you say, well, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? Right. I mean, I, I thought you were going to do this, but you ended up doing that. Or, you know, I, I thought you knew it all, but why is it all of a sudden you're saying like you regret something or, or, or you repent from something? And in fact, I think this is where, where the contradiction jumps in. By the way, we want to do a quick shout out to Chris Lopez, who uh, gave us the, the second happy Sabbath out there. And I believe he's out there in Tennessee right now. Um, and, uh, and so, and so here, here it is, right? 
the question I want to start off with, and I want to ask you guys, is as direct as can be. Can God contradict himself? Can God contradict God's self? Can he? Right? Can, can there be contradiction within God? And I already see a smirk going on with Andrew. So what's up, brother? Come on, talk to me. Oh, man, this is an interesting. Uh, can God contradict himself? I mean, if, if we are asking this question from, uh, I guess, with the presupposition that we believe in God, that, you know, that we believe is a, a holy God, a perfect God, then I guess the, the, the question would be no. But I, I, I want to kind of get us to look at this a little bit differently, right? Because uh, Mitch was saying something about the contradictions. Now, mm -hmm. I kind of categorize this into three different categories. Uh, I think I mentioned them uh, in our last conversation. There is what uh, Mitch mentioned as the eyewitness reportage, right? We got the the uh, the variance in the the uh, how would you say the contradictions or the what are the inconsistencies that we see in the in the uh, the gospel writings, right? Which uh, we explored last uh, week, which in some cases actually helps us helps the case of the Bible, and sometimes something that we want, right? And actually, sometimes build the case, and actually does build the case for the for the uh, consistency and the how would you say the reliability of the Bible? The second type of uh, contradiction uh, is uh, the manuscript manuscript variances, which we're going to probably get into in in maybe I don't know if next week or the following week, right? Where you have different, we have over five thousand manuscripts in different languages, right? With different variances, where certain parts are missing, certain parts have additional uh, writings, you know, a uh, 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 different uh, punctuation and what and what so, right? Where we have like 90% of the scriptures, right? And 10% is what's changed. And none of that actually changes doctrine, right? So these first two contradictions, right, are almost contradictions that are, if I could say, allowable or contra contradictions that somehow actually support the reliability of the of the scriptures and we'll talk about that later but yeah, but yeah. but the third contradiction which is the theological contradiction right if we think about this it leaves us with two options right when we talk about the uh, 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 our theology either we reconcile the, the 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 contradiction right we 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 look at it in its context or if we say that there can be theological contradictions what we're really saying is that god has actually failed in transmitting the message that god, that the the and essentially the text that we have is in some sense corrupt and all of a sudden the nature of god comes into question so while the first two types of contradictions uh, actually can help us with the reliability of the scripture if we cannot reconcile this theologically right this starts to open up a, a can of worms can i guess worm. we can right. say right so, Right, right, right. Jason, what what say you to this question? I, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in what in what Andrew just said, but I'm I'm curious. What what's your first initial reaction to this question? Can God contradict Himself? I mean, personally, I I can't. I believe He can. He cannot contradict Himself, hmm. being that He's He's just perfect. Like, yes, He could change His decision on certain things. But that doesn't necessarily mean to contradict himself, because to to con for God to contradict himself, it would have to be that he would have to change his character. God's character itself would have to change. That that to me is the only possible way that God could that God could uh, that God could contradict himself. Um, 
the way I guess we can see it as a contradiction, and we're going to touch on this later, so I don't want to get too into this. And I, sure. I mentioned it to you, Mitch. Um, yeah. But, um, the only way that I could see that we humans can see God contradicting himself is when repentance mm. comes into play. In whatever scenario God has already made judgment, if there's repentance brought into the scenario, that's where God could contradict himself and change his mind. Okay, yeah, I, I yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating question, right? Can God contradict himself? Um, by, by the way, very quickly, I just want to make sure that we don't know this, but Michelle uh, also gives us a happy Sabbath West Coast, because uh, this time we don't have the East Coast with us, because yeah. Mark's not here, obviously. Uh, but, you know, uh, she, she mentions that she had a, uh, a horrible uh, eye and headache, uh, you know, and this is one of the reasons that we wanted to do the Spotify. So in case you can't watch the screen, you know, you're able to, uh, to listen to it. Uh, but, but we're happy to have Michelle back with us, uh, who joins us regularly. So going back to this question, can God contradict himself? So first of all, can I just say that I think God can do whatever he wants to do? Can I, can I just say that first and foremost? This is true. Like, this is like, true. You know, you know what I mean? Like if God wants to contradict himself, man, he can contradict all he wants, right? Like, like he's God, right? He can do whatever he wants, except that we know that as much as God could do whatever he wants to do, there are certain things that, as both of you have mentioned that question the character of God. And if there's one thing that God reveals about himself, I think is that his character is pretty consistent. Um, uh, I think that we should begin by admitting that we can't really define God. Right. I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at it from our perspective and we're looking up to God and we're trying to find a way. And, and God does reveal himself in Scripture. But even then, we got to understand that it's a, a limited revelation. Right. Like God is not showing himself fully and plainly as how he is. He is revealing himself in what we need. But God is much bigger than what we have as revelation. Um, now, having said that, the Bible does say a few interesting things. You guys all know James 1, 17. Maybe it'll be quoted later on, right? But every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change, like shifting shadows. Uh, and, and then I also have to recognize something like Isaiah 55, where uh, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, right? And he says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what I do in a case like this, with a question like this, is that I, I have to balance both of these ideas. And I say, look, okay, on the one hand, the Bible tells me that God does not change. That means that I should expect to find consistency in God, right? Like there's got to be something I can say is consistent and constant in God. On the other hand, I also know that God's ways are much higher than mine. So I, I just, to answer the question, I also don't believe that God contradicts himself. And what happens when in scripture we find moments where God contradicts himself, I balance that with what I know the Bible tells me about God, right? Which is, hey, there's no change in God and his ways are, are higher, which means that I got to maybe dig a little deeper in scripture. Maybe I got to find more context to make me understand, to help me understand what's really going on here. Right. But I don't, I also, I don't believe God can contradict himself because there is a consistency that God presents to us over and over again. Yeah. I, I wanted to add to that too, uh, because it, it's true. You know, if, like we've been saying in these, this is what we're trying to do, I guess, in this scripture series, it's trying to show the reliability of the Bible and it's many different facets and aspects. Right. And if we can do the hard work to, to show that it's reliable, then we can move to, like we said, the uh, the Bible being 
not just a, a historical book, but a holy book. And if we believe it's a these are holy writings, we believe this is a holy and perfect God. And when we look at it from that perspective, then we can then we could start to analyze some of these uh, apparent theological contradictions through the presupposition that his holy writings are perfect as far as the message that he is trying to convey and his character. So I, I think when we look at it from this perspective, that's where we get all these different theologies, all these different doctrines, and that's mm. how we get all these de different denominations. It's every denomination is almost like it's their version of how they reconcile these contradictions or how they reconcile sure. God's nature. And that's why we have all these different denominations because we come up with different conclusions, right? But uh, uh, to your point, you know, I think that sometimes we take the nature of God and, and we rip it apart. We mm -hmm. we will take one verse or we'll, we'll for, in, for instance, uh, we'll take words that are not even in scripture about God. Uh, uh, um, I forget wh which word is it. I don't know if it's um, uh, omniscience. Omnipotence, uh, yeah, or, um, omniscience, or omnipotence. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's yeah, some of these yeah. words that are not even in Scripture themselves, sure. and we'll take that and we'll run with it. And we'll say, "Oh, well, isn't God all knowing, right?" Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yet, we have to read it in context of what we can't go beyond what the Bible tells us about who God is, right? So, as us as believers, we have to go in and figure out, okay, what does it mean that God is all knowing? What does it mean that God? repents or the changes his mind i think sure. we have to look at it from that perspective and not put our own i guess um ideas of humanity into god sure, sure. yeah I, I can i can i ask you guys something i think there's also a conversation here or a topic here about how much god values freedom because because in in the things that that we're going to look at in a, in a few minutes um we have to bring that into the equation because it involves us, right? All these instances where we see an apparent contradiction with God, it, it involves us, like it involves his creation. And, mm -hmm. and if, you know, God values freedom, I think that's something that we would all agree with. Um, uh, one of my professors puts it this way. I think he's borrowing from Karl Barth and, and the idea is that God is a God who loves in freedom. Right. And, and and so the idea there is that God loves, but it's within the framework of freedom. That is that God loves you, but doesn't force you because then that wouldn't be love as well. Or right. That God grants you freedom, but that's limited and governed by his love. And, and so I, I think that if God grants us freedom, right, the freedom to choose our own will, our own destinies, for that matter, um, then God almost in a sense has to react to our decisions as well. Right now, not that these decisions surprise God. Like I don't, I don't, I don't want to. Uh, you guys understand what I'm trying to say. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to go open theism on this. Okay, where God doesn't know the future. What I am trying to say though is that God does, in a sense, say, "Look, I'm going to give you the freedom, and I'm going to work with your choices to try to get you to where I want you to go." Right to 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 uh, help us reach His ultimate purpose. What, what, Jason, what do what do you think about God's freedom and this? And not God's freedom, our freedom, what God grants us, and and, and the idea of God maybe changing His mind in the process. Um, <clears throat> to me, um, I, I this is more my belief. It's not saying I'm not saying this is theological or anything. This is more my belief. There's always two choices that you have. God literally mm. always gives you two choices. You can either choose good or you could choose wrong. Mm. And it's not that He changes His mind because God knows everything. 
He knows everything if you choose choose the good path. He knows everything that's going to happen if you choose the bad path. You know, so it's not it's not so much that God changes His mind. Who changes is it's us. We decide what path to take. So given that freedom, that's how things change. That's how I guess you could say God's mind changes towards us um, because it, it does it. It's just that He knows what's going to happen. So obviously, mm. if you're taking the good way your whole life and then all of a sudden you take that miss miss misstep and go start going down the wrong path god's what what happens to you in light of what god tells you to what uh, jason J- jason it looks like it looks like you get yeah it looks Drastic like you're getting change. cut off just a little bit brother so i, I think I th- are we losing him andrew yeah i think i don't hear him yeah, yeah, I think I think he's freezing up. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll let him connect again. Uh, Andrew, what do you think about that as well? The, this concept of freedom, human freedom that God gives us. Yeah, um, for sure. I take into account with well, what you're saying. You know about um, you know uh, God and um, we have to look at his uh, omniscience and uh, this idea of him changing his mind. I think it's a it's an interesting one. I think we're going to talk about this. Uh, you know, does God repent? Does he change his mind? Because I think they are, or does God relent? Because they're all intertwined in some sense. But definitely, I agree with you in in the sense that God is reactionary, and and what Jason would kind of to Jason's point, the fact that he it's not God that changes, but God, but us that changes, and the God reacting to our to our choices. But I would say that God is consistent in his nature. In the fact that he is always like that, mm. his he, he is his uh, posture towards us is is the thing that change is well up changes apparently to us right from our perspective. If we look at God's nature, it's consistent in the sense that if we look all the way into uh, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, all those right, we see that God out- outlines for Israel, you know, the uh, the blessings that can be theirs if they follow his commandments, right? Or if they follow him, right? And then we have a list of curses, right? On the very next page, yeah. uh, on the very yeah. next pages, which shows what will happen if you disobey God. So we right. know that God is true to his nature. So when we say that God changes his mind or God, uh, uh, you know, ap- apparently changes or repents, it's more in the sense that his posture or his nature is the same. It's that we are the ones that are changing. Sure. Can can I just say that when uh, and and I, and I don't know if you meant that, but I'm I'm almost going to jump in here and try to uh, just clarify something. I think when we say that God is reactionary, we're not trying to say that these things surprise God, and He's like, oh, now what do I do? Right? I I, I don't think it works that way, um, but I do think it's because God knows that these are the options that we have. You know, God 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 works with us, and I think there are elements of that that we're going to see. In yeah, a we're going to talk about it more. Yeah. I, th- I think we got uh we got we got Jason back with us. Jason, you you there, brother? By the way, I just want to say uh, I have no idea what happened. I just want to say really quickly a shout out to my wife who said Happy Sabbath. Ah, uh, for sure, right there. Yeah, Jasmine Ramirez, uh, Happy Sabbath. Uh, and, and by the way, I just want to recognize as well Michelle's comment: God doesn't contradict Himself. I believe our understanding is contradicting. Hey, look, there's truth in that, man. Sometimes we're the ones that are that are just totally backwards. God's the one that on the right path, and we're the ones uh, upside down. Anyway, Jason, uh, I'm assuming you're back with us. It looks like it was just probably a poor connection. I, I don't know. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, anyway, so, so what, what were the last thing you guys said? Yeah, no, we, we were just talking just about freedom. Back and, and if, yeah, and in fact, just so you can collect your thoughts for a second, I, I want to just jump off of what Andrew was saying because I think there's a valuable question here. And let me read a text to you guys. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Very, very famous text in scripture, Numbers 23, 19. Right? It says, God is not human, that he should lie. Not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Now, that being said, there are instances in the Bible, and the first one that I can think of is Genesis chapter 6, where in some translations, it literally says that God repented, right? And in Genesis chapter 6, what we see is this uh, this, this moment where uh, God is looking at humans and he's saying, look, yep, I repent from having created human beings. That's kind of the, 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 the way we get that translation. And so I want to ask you guys that, right? What, what does the Bible mean when it says that God repented or that God regrets or I don't know, you know, I mean, these words that, that we use that sound very, uh, very human, very like, like, like a God that makes mistakes. Right. And that, that just something just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't gel real well with what we know about God. How, how do you guys see that? What does the Bible mean when it says that God repented? I don't, I don't think it's so much that God repented as in he did something wrong. It's more like, cause sometimes if you look for certain different definitions of repent, it feels, it means to like feel remorse, to feel sad. So seeing how bad the humans were doing at that time in the time of Noah, seeing how bad things had gotten and seeing how far it fell from the original plan, it made God feel remorse it made god feel sad it made god repent of like repent of everything happening not so much as in like oh i made a mistake but it's just more the feelings that he was feeling at the feelings that he was going through at the moment because i mean god is god in all his glory and everything god like a lot of the traits that we have as humans also come from god because he made us he made us in his like image so him seeing all these sad things that his children were going through i think it also happens to parents when they see their their child going through something bad they get sad same thing with god if he's our parent if he's our father he's gonna feel he's gonna feel that same way seeing how how belittle we've become to to what what our original stat what originally was the plan for us sure but no no but is it now is it god going in and looking like like a like a father would be like man i i feel so bad bringing you into this world like you know like a father that's disappointed in their child <laughs> and they're just like you know oh man what a mistake why did i why why, why did i even bring you to this world this is just a mistake <laughs> I, I i allowed you to be born i i don't i mean it's weird right because it's a fascinating phrase andrew what, what do you think about this yeah yeah I, I think it's interesting you know i actually did a lot of um uh research and study on this uh the interesting topic uh I just to, just just to give you guys some context i looked at three different uh uh translations here and they all say a different oh. word oh yeah we look at psalms 110:4 says the lord had sworn and will not repent thou art a priest forever after the order of melchizedek that sure. uh, says the word repent in psalms uh i mean in uh the uh, new king james what, what, what version what translation says, what translation was that first one that was a uh, uh, king james got it okay the next one is New King James Version. It says, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. Mm. So the first one says repent. Then we have relent. And then we have the uh, ESV, which says, okay. the Lord has sworn 
and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So that, we have that, that's also that's also what the NIV says, by the way. Yes. Yep. We have repent, relent, and will not change his mind. And sure. it seems like uh here we have different ideas about what's trying to be portrayed. And it's interesting, and maybe you could verify this for me, uh, Mitch, uh, when I was actually looking into the Hebrew, uh, I was looking at the idea that in Hebrew, we they have a very small pool of vocabulary compared to that what we have in the English uh, language. So when it comes to certain words in Hebrew, there can be very various meanings to that same word, sure. right? Sure. Um, as, as a matter of fact, the word here used in, uh, um, in Psalms 110 is... I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing you right. It's N A C H A M. Nakam? Yeah. No, it's it's the word Nakam. Nakam. I knew I was saying it yeah. wrong. Yeah. Nakam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's says, a little bit of phlegm. Yeah, yeah. And it says to be sorry or console oneself. And look at all these different uh, uh, synonyms that it has for it. it. Says it says I'm sorry, appeased, become a consolation, change mind, change minds, comfort, comforted, comforter. Console, consular, consuling. I mean, the, it goes on and on. I could list all these different things. So we can see just right here that it's trying to paint a picture for us. But one thing that I did look at, uh, and I thought it was interesting, you know, I was actually listening to a, a podcast on this saying that when we see the word repent used, uh, uh, when it is used for God, it's very different than the word repent that is used for man. Right here, this word, nacham, if I'm saying it right. Uh, is to be sorry or console oneself. But whenever we look at the word repent, as it when it comes to humans, is the word shub, S-H-U-B, which is to turn away, return, or to turn back, which is something very different. Because when we're looking at God himself and his nature, right, and we say that God is repenting, does that mean that he made a mistake? Does that mean he, uh, uh, you know, and somehow yeah. didn't know this? You yeah. know, but when we look at that word, it's almost like to grieve as opposed to the word shub, which is for, for man, right? To turn away, right? And I actually looked this up and I was looking up through all the scripture and all through the Old Testament. And I literally could, I don't know if it, 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 just the verses that I found, and maybe you guys could uh, attest to this, but I could not find a single time where it said the word repent about, about mankind in the Old Testament. It always said the word return, turn away, to turn back, sure, right? Sure, exactly sure. that same same thing that that, uh, that word shub means, which is fascinating because this tells me that when the Bible says that God repented, it's something uh, uh, different than what we do when we repent from ourselves, when we turn sure. back or when we, uh, uh, you know, make a mistake. So I think uh, when we look at that verse uh, that you read, right, where it says that God is not a man that he should lie. Yeah, number right? 23. Or, yeah, or, yeah, or, or that, that he should repent. It's in essence, we can look at it in a sense that God does not repent like man does. Right. Mm -hmm. He and he grieves differently. Uh, it, it's, it's something completely different. And uh, just to give you an illustration of this. Right. Because not, not to uh, I guess to make this easier to understand. We have many things like this in the Bible. Right. Where sometimes we want to attribute our what we believe about that word to God. Right. When we talk about uh, uh, the Bible saying that God is a jealous God. Right. But he says, um, you know, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you for the Lord. Your God is a jealous God. The first thing we think of, oh, God's a jealous God. How right. is that possible? That's right. That's a negative connotation. I, I thought, because I, Yeah, I thought jealousy was bad. I thought jealousy exactly. was evil. Right. Because that's that's the jealousy that we have as humans. But right. if we think of 
if uh, for instance one of our wives went to go cheat on a, uh, with another man that that would it be wrong for me to feel jealous that she went with another man i think that's a righteous uh, uh, jealousy because you know just like god when we go away from him right and we go astray you know if you really love someone you will feel a sense of jealousy there right now there is bad jealousy where we you know we're uh, coveting someone else's wife you know coveting your neighbor's stuff you know all this other kind of jealousy but there is a righteous jealousy that is in god's nature another uh, uh, example of that is the the wrath of god we mm. think that wrath is bad right but in james 120 it says for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god right so there is a holy wrath that comes from god so yeah. we try to do this sometimes where we attribute these different things to god and and, and we lose something in translation yeah or, or or i guess i guess what we try to do is attribute our definitions to god right we try to define god and 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 we're very limited in doing so yes yeah, so, so just for the record just to go back a little bit on what you said it is true um especially when it comes to verbs in hebrew what ends up happening is you have what what are known as verb stems and each one of those stems will actually kind of define the word in a sense so it'll be the same word but it'll give it a, a slightly different meaning and and naham is one of those words and interestingly enough that word without getting again too technical in hebrew but that word specifically is technically only attributed to god like it's only when god speaks do we see that word there now again that word is generally uh translated as repent but but here's here's a very interesting thing uh, it, for example, Genesis chapter six, which we're going to get into in a second. Uh, most of the translations actually don't say that God repented of creating mankind. That's the good old King James version. All right. The good old <laughs> authorized version is the one that throws in that word. The, repent. The, 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 per, the perfect, uh, the only standard, right? Yeah. The, the, the verbatim. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's right. That's right. And so, so there's this, and we're, Hey, and, and look, and I'm telling you right now, for those who are watching right now, conversation is coming a conversation is coming on bible translations it's going to be a good one we'll let you know when it's coming we don't want you to miss it we may rattle some cages with that conversation but it has to be done all right anyways that's 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 a that's a side note there andrew a, a little a little shameless plug but um <laughs> go, yeah going, going back to the, the translations that's why it's important i think that we have numerous translations when we're reading scripture and that we try to understand the words as they're being presented by the way you read psalms 110.4 it's interesting because psalms 110.4 when it talks about god not repenting it's talking first of all it's a messianic psalm so it's a psalm about jesus and second it says look god's not going to repent in other words god's not going to change his mind god will make sure that the messiah will be a priest in the order of melchizedek right so so we we have to put things into context and by the way many of these like uh uh contradictory things that people point out and they say oh look at that i'm telling you right now about 95 percent of them are completely out of context it's people just cherry picking scripture here grab this grab that and put them together and say look it's all a mess and that's not the right way of reading scripture it's not um anyway i saw you raise your hand andrew i don't, I don't know if you wanted to say something about that yeah, yeah. i, I kind of wanted to just uh add, add to all that too because I'm gonna drop a, a a big a big word right here, and you guys. Oh, here we go. Uh, here we go. I, have to, I have to explain this. It's called anthropomorphism, right? And this is what happens in the Bible. Anthro, right, meaning man, right? Um, the, this is the, uh, the, the I have the definition here so that I don't confuse people. Sure. It says sure. the the attribution of human char characteristics 
or behavior to God, animals, or object. This is what we have in the Bible in many cases. When God was trying to reach down to humans and communicate, right, we see that in many ways in communicating, in the, the best way to communicate to man, to man right, is sometimes attributing uh, these uh, human-like characters to God, okay. right? When God says uh, he outstretched his arm, right? It doesn't right. mean that God God's uh, hand literally, goes like a million right. miles, right? Yeah. It's, it, you know, that he's reaching out to us, that he inclined his ear. It's not like, you know, it's show sure. all these different things of attributions of, of human characters to God is for us to understand him be better. So yeah. in some sense, you know, uh, it, things can be gained and things can be can be lost through the, this type of of, of um, uh, uh, how do you say a transmission, right? But we see this, and this is consistent in the Bible. And I think that it's important to note that when we see repentance, we see these different words that God is trying to communicate something to us about His character that quite doesn't translate in some in some cases, Andrew. so that we better understand who He is. Yeah, Andrew, is it is it possible though that it's not even God that's trying to communicate by using those words? It's it's the inspired prophets that are trying to use the best word they know exactly. to express what it is that God is 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 feeling, right? At the moment. The, again, this goes back to the conversation we had last week, which is understanding that there is a human element in the writings of scripture, right? Um and, and so I I I think. I think that we can we can kind of take a step back for a second and just say, okay, fine. So we got to be careful with the words that we use. But even though we're saying, let's be careful with the words that we use, there are instances, stories, scenarios, if I could put it that way, in the Bible, where you ask yourself, okay, fine, this isn't about words. This is just simply about God's actions. What's going on here, right? And 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 I, I want to see if we could just dig in a little bit more into this before I jump into this conversation, though, and into this uh, question. Uh, again, thank you for all those who are watching us live at the moment. If you haven't hit that like button, hit that like button right now. Honestly, that actually helps out. Uh, so that way others can see, you know, that you're joining us. So if you're watching us live, hit that like button. Do it right now, right this moment, share. right? Or share, <laughs> definitely, because we, we definitely want other people to be able to listen and, 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 uh, and hear this conversation. So here we go. I want to ask you guys about Genesis chapter 6. Because in Genesis chapter 6, we see a God who has determined, who has decided to destroy his own creation. And I think a lot of people will pick on this and they will say, okay, wait a minute. Why would a God of love, a God of grace, right? A God of mercy, we say. Why would he repent in the words of the good old King James Version, right? Why would he repent from creating man and, and plan to destroy the antediluvians. Like, well, like, why would he do that? Uh, and, and I think that's a that's a that's a fair question. And this goes back, Andrew, to what you had said that sometimes these issues make you question the very nature and character of God. And and Jason, you had mentioned that the character of God is consistent in Scripture, right? Mm -hmm. that, that that's why there can't be any contradictions. So, all right, brother, look, I'm gonna let you take a a shot at this first, Jason. So, what's up? What's going on here? Why would a God of love say? Hey, let's destroy mankind. To be honest, that's something that I've always struggled with too. Yeah, because yeah. That, that's like one of the main questions. It's like, okay, then why did if God made us, why did He want to destroy us? And it's not. It, it's not so much. I honestly think if there wasn't a plan from the beginning, from before, before, from. 
from there, there just wasn't a plan from the beginning. The thought, the thought would have never been expressed. It would have never been written down. It would have never been something in our Bibles. I think the fact that Noah was already in the picture, the the work of Noah was already God was already had Noah lined up to do work for him. That's why this happens. That's why God's like, you know what? Let's let's do the flood. You know. If Noah would have never been in the picture, if God would have never started preparing Noah, knowing what was about to happen, then it would have never. It's a oh. scenario that would have never have, have, have came to be. The fact is that Noah wasn't just, "Hey, look, this is about to happen. That's it. Mm-hmm. Close the door on the ark." For over two hundred years, the guy was preaching it out. So it's not like God was like, "Hey, I'm going to destroy you guys." That's it. It was like, "Look, this is what could happen. This is what's going to happen." But also, I'm giving you guys a way out. I'm giving you guys another route. The, 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 I mean, I could be wrong. This is how that's how I see it. Sure, sure. I just was trying to find a way to to be able to get people to come back to him, to turn to him. And sometimes, fear, fear for your loss of life, fear, fear just is something is is a huge factor sometimes for us to look for God. Ooh. So, Ooh. I mean, that's. That's why I, we had a conversation on this before. Yeah, yeah, you guys want to go back to our conversation? I know. Because in fear. <laughs> I think, I think, I think. By the way, that was our very first conversation, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was very, very first. It was like it was either the first or second one where we really went into it. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, look, hey, fascinating statements. God using fear. I, I, I want to just make sure I, I can clarify what you're saying, though, just just or at least for me, so I can understand this. What you're saying is that God would not destroy unless he had a way out as well. Because you mentioned Noah, right? Because because there is Noah. So there's a, there's a way out or a way to be saved from that destruction. And therefore, that's exactly. why God also says, look, I'm going to destroy. If if there was no way out, God probably wouldn't have done that. Am I, did I hear you that correct? Am I, am I capturing the essence of what you said? Yes. And the reason I'm saying that, the reason I think that, it's not that I read that somewhere. That's something that sure, sure. I think. It's because from the very beginning, God has always had that solution. Mm. From the very fall of man, there was always the solution. From the very fall of man, there was the plan of redemption. So if there's a problem, yeah. God always gives you the way out. You have to follow him. You have to follow what he tells you, but he always gives the way out. I appreciate that, Jason. By the way, and I want to remind everybody, if you're watching us live at the moment, you want to chime in on this question. We want to hear from you as well, because we think this is a very, very interesting question. Uh, Andrew, what's up? What, 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 what is your opinion on this question? Because I yeah. do see something slightly contra, apparently contradictory in what's going yeah. on here. Yeah, I think this is interesting. Um, yeah, I like the way the question is phrased. Why would God of love and grace repent from creating man and desire to destroy the antediluvians? And- Right. Um, we, we see this as, as a picture of of the end times, the judgment. Right. We always go to this. But, you know, uh, before I even get into that, I just want to hit on this point once again, just to kind of give us some context. Right. When God repents. Right. It's not him that's changing or when he changes his mind. Right. It's us that are changing uh, uh, back to this idea of it's his posture that to us changes. Right. His posture is always wrath. To grace wrath to grace right going with this idea of what we're talking about right so it's not us it's not him that changes it's us right 
and I want to use this illustration to kind of under, uh, kind of understand a little bit more, right? I heard this illustration. Um, Mike Winger uses this illustration that I thought was was excellent. It's like if you're in a dark room, right, mm-hmm. with several people in there, and you get a flashlight and you cement it to the floor. You turn it on, right? Everybody's walking around, right, and you don't know where you're going. Now, at sometimes it may appear that you are behind the light. Sometimes you go through the light. Sometimes you're out. So to you, it seems as if, you know, you are behind the light or that it's changing. But in essence, it's still and it's in one place. And it's in the same way. It's God. God is stagnant. His character is the same. His posture is the same to wrath and repentance. If we come into the light, he's willing to to, to, to take us back into repentance. But if we go into the darkness, wrath is the only thing that remains. Right. So from God's perspective, he stays the same. We are the ones that are changing in our decisions. Right. And that's why I I think this question is is powerful because it says, why would a God of love and grace? Right. When I talk about the posture of God being wrath and grace. Right. These people here, if we look at the, uh, uh, the scripture that it says here. In Genesis 6, 3 through 8, it says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So we have a time frame that God has given these people at this at this time, 120 years, right? We continue, sure. and, it, and it says, There was giants on the earth in those days, and, after, and also afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and bore their children to them. Those who were mighty men were of old men of renown. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air. And for I am sorry that I have made man. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is so powerful right here because it says, and the intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That means they were in darkness. They were in the, if we look at the flashlight analogy, they weren't in the posture of light. They were in the darkness. So there's only one thing that comes in continual darkness, and that's the wrath of God. He is consistent with his nature, right? And it says he gave them, it says, yet his day shall be 120 years that these people had to repent. Right. But at the end, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Notice that God did not. His posture was the same. Those who came to the light found his grace. Those who stayed in darkness found dark, uh, found wrath. His posture remained the same. And I think this is so powerful because what gives us even more context in Matthew 24, 38 through 39. Right. When Jesus is talking about Noah as the end time, at uh, the end time, it says, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all the way, took took them all away. So also will the coming of the son of man be this. If we put these two, these two together is telling me that in the end times, it will be like Noah's day. Mm. So this tells me that in Noah's day, these people who thought, evil continually had reached a place that was so evil that is not that we haven't even reached that yet in the end times. So this is telling me that God's grace was so abundant to these people yet wrath had to come upon them because they had reached that place of evil, which is a place where we, we will eventually come to, which is like you said, scary, but we have, there's always a place with God where when evil reigns continually, 
that requires judgment. Okay. Okay. Can I? Yeah. Can, yeah. can I? Can I? Can I pick on something? Something that I slightly disagree with you on, but it's Go only it. It, may, it may be semantics. I I hear what you say when when you're talking about wrath and grace, except that I would reverse them around. Uh, I believe that it's actually a flow from grace to wrath. Uh, and and I'll, I'll give you I'll give I, I, you my. I, I wasn't saying the two. I was I just saying you. there's. Just, just the yeah. yeah. But I, I just, I just, yeah. but, but there's a re but there's a reason why I'm, I'm going to pick on that for a second, uh, because I think that this is exactly what happens with the pre-flood people. This is exactly what happens with Adam and Eve as well, by the way, because the the if they ate from the tree, they would die. There you go. And yet, they didn't die. Okay, fine. We can talk about what it really means on the day that you eat. And then that means that you will just eventually die, et cetera, et cetera. But yet what I see is a God that says, look, you made the mistake. Let me extend my grace and my mercy to you first, give you all the opportunities you need. And then, right, comes comes the wrath. This is the same thing with the pre-flood people. You read the text in Genesis 6-3. I'm upset at the people, but I'm going to give them 120 years. That's grace. That's a lot. That's and that's a lot of time, 120 years for them to change their ways. God is going to sit there patiently and say, "Look, I'm going to work with you guys. I'm going to try to call you guys in." 120 years after 120 years, only Noah's family was left. We know that, but what you see is an is a because what would have happened? I ask you guys, what would have happened if within those 120 years there would have been a full blown repentance on the amount of violence on the continual violence on their minds? Would God have still destroyed? The planet here we go hold on i think he would have still sent the flood yes okay but they wouldn't, they wouldn't have been destroyed in the flood because god doesn't change his mind you see what i'm saying but but the idea is that god is consistently presenting to the people by the way i'm i'm but i am with you on this 100 andrew is that what i see in in the antediluvians is this uh this idea of look we know they're not far removed from eden we know what is right. We just only want to do what is wrong. And you guys remember that, um, who is it? Is it Jesus that talks about uh, uh, the unforgivable sin? Um, uh, and, and that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. You see, we, we have this expression, we say, as long as there is life, there is hope. But the moment that the Holy Spirit can have no influence on your life whatsoever, not because he can't force you, but because you are not willing at all to let him in, you're good as dead. You're good as dead. And I, I may have mentioned this phrase before, uh, but C.S. Lewis has a great quote that says that the, the, uh, the, the doorway to hell is locked from the inside. Nobody can open that door from the inside. It, it, you know, the, and the imagery is fascinating, right? In other words, no one's going to say, come on in. You're the one that has to open the door because the only way you can actually open the door is from the outside, from you going in. So I, I, I think that there is a consistency here in God. By the way, I mean, this is God constantly showing mercy. Showed it with Adam and Eve, showed him with Cain and Abel, shows 120 years of mercy for, for the antediluvians. He's going to do it over and over again, time and time in the Old Testament. I don't see God changing in this. What do you guys think? No, yeah, yeah he doesn't because uh, like some a story that was coming to my mind and I was... There's a story of um, of uh, with with Abraham when um, he's trying to find at least one righteous person in those two cities, at least one. 
just one. And he's like begging, oh, I, what about 100, Lord? What about 50? What about God's still willing to do things for just one person? His mercy's always there. But like just with the antediluvians, there wasn't even one. There was just Noah's family left. In Abraham's case, there wasn't even one. He had to practically beg God to save to save Lot. Yeah, there's something there's something to be said when animals are being saved over humans. Like that's that's not you can tell how bad the situation was. Yeah, uh, Andrew, you were going to say something as well. No, I just I just wanted to uh, you know kind of chime in a little bit about you know the the amounts of times that we see in in, uh, in the Bible, you know, and and God knows right the 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 right amount of time <laughs> you know we see a hundred and what twenty plus years here you know uh, uh i have the verse here where it talks about god giving the amorites 400 years to the yeah. fourth generation yeah. Yeah. 400 years so they could repent yeah right uh, uh when jesus predicts the uh, um the destruction of jerusalem and he cries he saw the city wept over saying if you had known even you especially on this day the things that would make you for your peace he says because you did not know the time of your visitation how many years go by between when Jesus dies and the, the destruction of, of, of Jerusalem? What, 37, Approximately 40 30, 30, Approximately. 35 to 40. Yeah, 35 to 40 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. Years. You know, we see all these different time frames, right? And in all those, God is giving us a second chance. And like you were saying, I, I, I wasn't trying to uh, put so much uh, emphasis in the wrath, but I got you. I got God's you. grace is so abundant. And how much, I mean, how many years, how much time God gives us to turn our hearts is just amazing to me. And this, I think, says a lot about his character. By the way, Exodus 34, 6, that's the text I was I was going to read uh, when I was nitpicking something that you had no gripe with at all. I'm sorry, Andrew. I apologize for that. Uh, the, the You know, God, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity. And transgression and sin, but I love that part, right? I mean, all that's good stuff that comes first. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers. By the way, if that was the description that we have of God, isn't that consistent, uh, Jason? Would would we not say because Exodus thirty four says God is merciful, gracious, forgiving, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but also does not clear the guilty? Isn't that essentially what you were saying? Look, God first is going to show mercy, but at the same time, hey, here's. Here's judgment, right? Here's destruction. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I was, I'm just, I was disagreeing with you. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, that, that's, 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 that's what I think. Now, let me, let me just uh, uh, get Michelle's comment in here. So I want to recognize this. She, she's actively participating. There's a Jamaican proverb that says, "Every day the bucket goes to the well. One day the bottom will fall out." <laughs> that's a great. That's a, that, that, and that's great. And that's true. Here we go. He says, look, God had enough of mankind. We are so rebellious and hard-headed. We give God colic. He is still a God of grace. Look, I, I think that's 100% true. I would also argue that his grace goes beyond what we can even imagine. And I think the case of the antediluvians is there. Let me let me give you guys, and if you guys want to come back to this, no problem. But let me let me give you guys another scenario now where someone may say, look, what, what's wrong with God here? Did God make a mistake? And this one has to do with a very, very famous king, not King David, but the one right before, right? Saul. Uh, and if you guys have ever read 1 Samuel 15, there's a question that rises up from that because there is a moment in 1 Samuel 15. In fact, I probably should should uh, should read it. Let me see if I could pop it up here. Um, oh, here we go. 
Uh, the text says, uh, let me see, uh, what is it, verse 5, I think it is, something around there. Um, anyways, there's the whole issue with the Amalekites, right? And eventually uh, Saul does not set up. And this is the text. And I'll put it up on the screen here just so people can see it. And um, I think that I am going to quote it from the New King James just because, all right? Uh, that's uh, Andrew's favorite version. I'm kidding. That's actually uh, the NIV here. Okay. And this is a uh, first Samuel chapter 15, uh, verse 10 and 11. And this is what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. I got, I got a question for you guys here. If God is all knowing, why even choose Saul to begin with? Like, like, why, why, why choose Saul to be king, but then later on regret from making him king? I think that. Look, honestly, hey, that's a that's that's not an easy question. So whatever you do, don't start off your answer by saying that's not an easy question because I just stated that. All right, <laughs> tell me what you <laughs> tell me what you think. By the way, while, while you're thinking about that, uh, our our uh, missing counterpart Martin, here, Marin Zelaya, uh, Pastor Marin uh, out there in New York, saying happy Sabbath, brothers. Uh, feel free, brother. I'm just saying, I'm just letting you know, if you happen to be near an, a good internet connection, Jump plug on. in, man. You know, we got like another 30 minutes to go. So anyways, so, so, uh, and again, please chime in. If you are watching us live, why would God, who is all knowing, choose Saul to be king, but then repent from making him king in first Samuel 15? What do you guys think? I honestly, how I think of it is because God always I honestly think God, he's so merciful. He always tries to give us the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. God always sees, God sees the heart. Out of all things, God sees the heart. So God always sees your max potential. If in his, if what you can possibly do in his hands. And if Saul would have continued of abiding in God's grace and love to just continue, continue following whatever, whatever um, the prophet Samuel was telling him, the story would have been different. Maybe, maybe mm. even David wouldn't have been put into the picture at that time. Mm. But because Saul chose different, he chose the different path. God knew everything that was going to happen if he would have just kept on following him. But somehow along the way, Saul lost his step. And that's what made God sad because God gave him everything. He gave him the anointment. He gave him the people chose him. Everything Saul had everything lined up to be successful as a king and to be a great king at that because it was a it was at the time that Israel was just prospering, but he failed it. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't continue. He didn't continue grabbing onto God, looking for God. He decided to rely on himself. He saw that he had so much power that he was doing so well. He ended up relying on himself instead of relying on God. Sure. Uh, I I I. Yeah, what what it let me let me let me chime in here for a second. By the way, I want to recognize Chris uh, Chris's comment here because I, I it, it just points and to Martin. what we're trying to to illustrate, um, uh, which is I think it's interesting. He says that in verse twenty nine, the same chapter, God says He doesn't repent, which is true. By the way, I'm going to read it, New King James, mm -hmm. and also the strength of Israel, God will not lie nor relent, for He is not a man that He should relent. Some versions will say repent as it's well. The, it's the same Hebrew word too. The come, yeah, yeah. The same one. Right, right. Now, uh, I, I think there's something there with what you said, Jason. This idea that God had given Saul everything that he needed to be a successful king. 
and and God, I think, consistently is trying to work with us in all these things. But can I just add in a little bit more context to this story? When people bring up this question, this issue, a First Samuel chapter eight, right before Saul gets uh, chosen, uh, chosen yeah. as king. Okay, First Samuel chapter eight says some powerful things about what's oh, about man. to happen. I was going to okay, read that. Okay, so okay, okay, well, well, I'll, I'll, <laughs> no, I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll okay. go ahead and read it. You guys can comment, right? This is First Samuel chapter eight, verse four. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. This is the prophet at the time at Ramah, and they said to him, "You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have." Okay, they're asking for a king. Verse six. But when they said, "Give us a king to lead us," this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, and I think this is very important. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Okay, we're going to talk about Saul for a second as king. We have to remember what's happening in this moment. And in this very moment, God is saying, you know what they're doing? They're actually rejecting me. Saul represented, I, I'm going I'm to throw this out there. I don't know what you guys think about this. Saul, the kingship of Saul represented rebellion towards God. And yet, and does this not mean God of mercy when God who sees them rejecting him says, all right, fine. All right, I'll work with you guys. This is what you guys want. Fine. I know you're rejecting me in the process, but fine. And here you go. And I'll choose you the man as well. I'll give you a good man who initially was a good man. And then all this happened. So there, I read the text, Andrew, you were about to read it. What, 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 what's going on? What do you guys think? Yeah. And not just that, not just that. If you keep on reading the text and I, to be honest, I, I had completely forgotten about this. I don't even remember reading this part. If you keep on reading it, it literally says, look, this is going to be the behavior of the king. Yes. 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 I completely, I, I honestly cannot remember reading this part. And it just, it just blows my mind that God told him, look, this is going to happen. And everything that God says is what's going to happen. And that's exactly what, everything that is depicting right here is exactly what happened with the life of Saul. Um, I, I don't know, by the way, I'm, I'm just saying, look, I mean, we're going to talk about God saying, I, I, I you know, I, I regret or I, re I repent uh, of choosing Saul. Hey, we got to remember what was going on before that, too. Just just yep. to put it into context. Uh, I wanted to mention several things, and uh, I want you guys to brace yourselves on this on this next uh, this next comment I'm going to make. I, I, I'm, I'm slowly moving to a different position now. Uh oh, uh oh. Right. <laughs> and, and just before that, I want to uh, recognize what uh, Martin is saying here. It says, um, it says the people wanted a king after their own heart, and God allowed it to happen. And then also uh, Michelle puts, he allowed Saul to be king so that we can see that he will not hold us back from our desires according to his will. They wanted a king. They got a king. And I, I, I would actually agree with what uh, Michelle is saying there. You know, I think this is huge to what I'm going to say. Uh, is that what that she says that so that we can see that he will not hold us back, right? We know that the scriptures is the Bible. The Bible says, well, the scriptures say that, you know, that the they, they were written, right, for our, for, for correction. They were written for our, you know, sure. what, what is the word? Uh, uh, um, forget what, what the word is. Oh, yeah, I know. I can't remember the word either. Uh, I'll, I'll find the text. I'll find the text. Written. <laughs> yeah. As an, so, as an example, um, by the way, as an example. 
Yeah. And, and so what I want to kind of say to, to every, the, the, what I'm going to say is that if we look at this, right, going to what Jason's point was, right, and, and what, what I wanted to say is at the at, in verse 18, this is key to what we're talking about, King Saul, because it says, and you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Ouch. Man, this is what this is where I'm talking about. I'm slowly moving positions because right here is telling me that God had foreknowledge of this. Hold on, hold on, God, hold on, 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 hold on. How would we know what position you're moving from if you haven't told us what position you had? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, well, <laughs> well, well I, I'm I'm going to slowly uh, ease, okay, all right, ease, my right, way, right, ease my way into this. Right, we all see right, that right. that that God here has a foreknowledge of Saul. Right, so God allows Saul to be king. He allow he works with uh, uh with with his um. With sure. his people, right? Sure. Gives them sure. a king. And yet he sees, he already knows that this is not going to work out. He says, in that day, you will cry out in that right? day. and I will not yeah. hear you. He yeah. already knows this. And yet he still allows it to go through. Right. And, the, you know, so why would God who is already knows what's going to happen, allow you to continue to do and th- to go through these things. Right. Sure. Even though. And right. And this is why I think I'm moving away f- even more from open theism and moving more to Molinism, right? Whoa, whoa! Uh, I'm slowly nah. moving to Molinism. Just <laughs> right. dropping these words, but putting it into layman yeah, terms yeah. for a second. Uh, right. Open theism. Well, you 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 explained it. That is the idea that God doesn't uh, uh, know certain parts of the future. That you know how we, you were saying. You know, God is reactionary in some sense, and this to me kind of tries to do away with the idea of free will and and certain things. You know, kinds of you know tries to make the case for God a little bit better, but. Molinism is the idea that God knows every outcome. Yeah. No matter who you uh, uh who you were or who like say for instance I explained this last time what you would have done if what what would have happened if Jason was Pilate or Jason was Harriet or 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 you know or what every outcome would have been with every person right in that place right. And, and this is extreme. I don't I, you know I'm just I'm just joking around but I do believe here that God, who is all knowing, right, does these things right, and He allows them right. Uh, I have here a, a, a verse right that I wanted to share with you guys because we look at what happens to Saul, right? Sure. And uh, Ezekiel, and this is why I plead the case in Ezekiel two six through seven. Look at what it says here. It says, "And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words." Though, though briars and thorns are with you and you dwell among scorpions, this is Ezekiel speaking, do not be afraid of their word or be dismayed by their looks. Though they are a rebellious house, you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. Another version says it like this. It says, you must give them my message, whether they listen or not, but they won't listen for they are completely rebellious. We see here that God already knows that these people are not going to hear this message in Ezekiel. We see here in the story of Saul that Saul is eventually going to fail or, or that this is going to happen. And God already knows it and he still allows it to happen. I'll give you another example with Judas. I think the same thing is happening with Judas. God chooses Jesus chooses him as a disciple and he knows he's going to betray him. 
and yet he still allows him to be a part of his disciples. Okay, as a matter on, of fact, on, matter on, of fact he says he says these words okay. you know, about Judas. It says it okay. would have been better if he would have of this not the born born. who betrays me if he would not have been born. Sure, sure. What I'm trying to get to say, uh, trying to say with all this, right? And I believe that this is actually a position of love on God's part. What wouldn't be a position of God's love is God. If, if God saw all the decisions that we we're going to make, he already knew the future and he just snapped it into existence and said, I already knew what you're going to do. Sure. But what Michelle points out here and is crucial, he allows us, right? What does she say? She says he allowed Saul to become king so that he can see that he will not hold us back so that we could all see, right? The decisions, right? Going back to this idea of the idea that Satan and God are on trial, quotations, in this great controversy, okay. right? And that God is, in some sense, on trial. If God was just to snap into existence because he already knew all the decisions we were going to make, we could then say, that doesn't seem like a very loving God. He just knew all the decisions, he snapped it into existence. But if we see a God who, even though he already knows the bad decisions that you're going to make or the good decisions that you're going to make, he still allows them so that we can see them in the scriptures, so that we can see them in our own lives, cool. that to, seem, to me seems like a loving God. A God that, although he already knows the outcome, he still lets it play out, even if he knows that you're going to reject him. Okay, so, all right, look, let me, I, I, there's, oh man, there's so much to unpack there. But, 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 but here we go, okay? First of all, I, I just want to acknowledge some of the comments here. Uh, Martin says, so God did want Saul to succeed. Ellen White says that. He had access to the yeah. Holy Spirit and thought low yeah. of himself, so that made him hold on to God. I agree. I agree. Okay, and he says, but the position got to himself. Then he let go of God. I agree. Okay. All right. All right. God and, wants and, all of us to yeah. succeed. Judas, uh, Saul, sure. the, the the rebellious. Okay. Yeah. I'll let you. Sure. Sorry. Now, but here, I'm, but I'm a, I'm just gonna just throw a question directly at, at you. Did Jesus choose Judas so that he could betray him? I don't. Uh, that's a hard one. Did Jesus cho choose Judas so that he could uh, that he betray could betray him. him? I don't. I. I don't think that God chose him specifically for that. Okay. That he could betray him, but he allowed that because God is reactionary in a sense that, in the one way that he does, I guess, interact with us sure. is in 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 his character of repentance, like we said, in his posture. Of being repentant, he's always willing to take us back. Okay, in that posture of repentance. Okay, I, look, I ask you that because I, I think there's a conversation of predestination in the middle of all this, right? Uh, this idea that God predestines, decrees everything essentially, no. and and I mean, everything we we is is product of the will of God. Therefore, uh, you know, uh, Saul being king and even his evil actions are essentially decreed by God, all yeah. for the glory of God. Calvinism. Eventually, I yeah, we we don't I. Look, right now, we're telling you right now, if you're watching this, we do not ascribe to that. We do not believe that. At all. Uh, maybe Martin, but he's not here to defend himself, so that's why I'm just going to throw it out there, okay? Maybe I don't Martin. think so. He, he, he put Judas still had a choice. So I don't Never think mind. Never mind. Even Martin doesn't believe that. Judas still had a choice. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's great. Perfect timing. All right. Now, now. Middle knowledge, which is Molinism. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Middle knowledge is the idea that God knows absolutely every possible outcome to any decision that we may make, and it is just like this extension of all these different outcomes. 
and it, and it's almost as if God is working off of contingencies. I don't think God works that way either. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that. I don't, I don't go. I would. I was just joking. I don't go to yeah, the extreme I know, I know. But, of that. But to, to to be fair, you did say you're you're heading towards the direction, not that yeah, you I'm are. Heading more heading towards that than open yeah. theism. That for yeah, sure. right, right, right. <laughs> I would say that in the issue of Saul, I think this is fascinating because I think that God didn't know what was going to happen with the situation of kings, right? And yet, and yet, can I just bring in one more individual in this? From the problems that arose from Saul came King David. And King David not only becomes the greatest king in Israel, he is also the one that continues the lineage all the way up into the Messiah, up until Jesus Christ, right? Jesus is the lineage of, of David. So, so, so. What I'm trying to point to is that look at what's happening. I, Andrew, you know what? I'm going to say I'm almost with you on everything you said. I think that God knew what was going to happen. And yet this is the God of mercy that we say is consistent over and over again, that he comes and he grabs a bad situation. The people asked for a king. Saul totally blows it in the process. And then he brings David. And notice, notice, Saul could not have carried the lineage of Jesus. Could not have happened. It had to have been through David. If you look at the the genealogy mm -hmm. of uh, of Jesus in Matthew chapter one, you're going to see that that it's coming all the way back from Abraham, right? They're following it through all the way down from Abraham. So it could not have been Saul. So in other words, it's almost as if God is saying, "Look, I get it. You guys want this. This is not what I want. But fine, you want this. Now I'm going to work with what you want. You're going to see that this is going to fail, and yet." If this fails, what you're going to be left with is, okay, God, save us. And who's going to save us? It's going to be the king, the Messiah, the only true uh, um, uh, person who deserves the throne of Israel, right? The throne of, of, uh, of Jerusalem. So I, I, I think there is still the persistent character of God, mercy, grace, love in this. We, we wonder and we say, okay, did God choose Saul so that he could fail? I don't believe so because that goes against the character of God. Yes. And yet Saul failed because of his own decisions. And God had a contingency plan that came right behind Saul, which was King David. And King David was going to lead us to Jesus, right? So I, you know, look, it's very interesting because, of course, these are conversations that have to do with God knowing the future. Uh, God predestined. There's, there's one, there's one more, there's one more uh, question we got to get to. One more scenario that I think comes to this point as well. I do want to uh, recognize what uh, Martin is saying, or missing counterpart here. He might have been chosen, but he still had to choose his fate. An example I use is Nineveh. Okay, he brought it up, and we're going to go to that right now. And it's destruction. And then God gave him a choice to accept the message. And God still chose to be merciful to Saul, even after he had chosen David, because he still had the throne of Israel. By the way, Saul got hundreds of opportunities. I mean, it wasn't just like it was that one thing that happened in 1 Samuel 15. Many, many chances. Uh, let's not forget, he also tried to kill David himself. All right. I mean, he threw a spear at his head. Even, so. David, even David himself had the chance to, to take the guy's life out, but the God of hand didn't allow it. At that moment, God... It's all a chance. Yeah, and I, and you know what? And with David, it's interesting because David becomes king. David makes a bunch of mistakes as well. And you would think that God is like, okay, fine. Well, you're you're the one that I wanted, so whatever. That's not true either. 
he gets he gets castigated, punished for some of the stuff that he did as well. He's not able to construct the temple. Blood was on his hands. And he had committed incredibly immoral things. So we, you know, uh, Andrew, what you were saying, uh, wrath and grace, and I, I just said the other way around, right? Grace and wrath. But the point is that you constantly see what Exodus 34 says. God, the Lord, merciful, gracious, who forgives the iniquities, but does not clear the guilty. That is still there. There is still a consistency in God. Now, let me jump into this because this is the last scenario we want to point to. And again, we want to thank everybody who's joining us here. Uh, Martin brings up the Ninevites. Let's go to the Ninevites because that's one other example where we see God repent. And I'm, I, if you know, if any of you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to go to Jonah chapter three, verse ten. After, um, after uh, Jonah preaches to the Ninevites. The message to the Ninevites is that in 40 days, God is going to destroy your city. Your evil is just out of control. The whole city repents. And in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did, this is the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. Again, some versions will say repented. It says, and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. By the way, the word, once again, Andrew, is the word Necham, okay? Just, just to be very clear, it's the same exact word. But you notice that in the text, if you're reading it with us, in uh, and, I, and again, I read that from the NIV, um, that God turns from the decision that he had said he was going to do. And Martin brings this up. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, bring up Martin's comment as well uh, one more time, right? But he says an example I use is Nineveh and its destruction, and then God gave them a choice to accept that message. All right, so let's try to unpack this one. This is our last scenario for the night. Uh, what's going on here? I mean, does God just simply make a choice and then He say, "No, nah, forget about it. I'm just keep it to my mind." Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, to get to Nineveh, we still have to have that little backstory on on Jonah. What happened to him? Yeah. For those for those three days for, for those three days that he was in that in the belly of that whale, don't you think that Jonah was asking for repentance on everything? God could have clearly have left him inside the belly of that fish. Yeah, he could have. Yeah, he could have. But Jonah was repenting because with Jonah being a being a prophet. And him running away from God, that was something extreme. Him trying to run away from God, that God could have punished him for that. He could have been like, look, that's it. I'm leaving you in the well. That's it. Game over. But no, there goes again. God in all his mercy trying to teach the whole. I feel like the whole story of Jonah was just God trying to teach Jonah humility. Because if, <laughs> if you read the if you read if you read the whole book of Jonah and try to look at the backstory of it, this guy lacked humility. Oh, he really wow. did. Even yeah. with the, even with the, even even with the, with the, with um the the what is it? The guys that were running the boat when they started casting lots. Even there, he was a little bit arrogant. So the whole story of Jonah is trying to teach him humility. That, that that's just how I break it down. But he had there goes God again. Mercy to wrath to mercy again, to wrath to mercy to mercy yeah. again. That's that's yeah. the whole story. So now that we know that, we go to Nineveh. So we know the whole story. The city is about to get destroyed, and God backs off. He's like, you know what? They 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 did everything that the Ninevites could possibly do to show that they they repented. They did. 
They they tore their clothes, which was symbolic. They got sackcloth, something very, very uncomfortable. They were weeping. They were mm -hmm. asking for forgiveness. They did everything. And they they, they truly repented. So that, that, that's my thing that I said from the beginning. God never changes his mind unless repentance comes into play. Once repentance comes into play, we're going back into that original path that God had provided us for us to go on, which is to be continually with him, to, to, to be getting closer to him. That's what repentance does. Repentance guides you back to God. And that's what happened to Nineveh. Nineveh was on that path again, even though they had gone the other way. They're literally what their sin, their sins was, their sins was bringing them the doom. And that's yeah. what sin does. Sin, sin brings the doom into your life. But once you take repentance, once you enact on repentance, once you ask for repentance, and it's clear that the, that the Ninevites did, God was like, "No, I'll change my mind." That's uh, that to me. That's, that's the only way God contradicts himself and he changes what he thinks is when repentance comes into play i like i like how you put that in air quotes by the way it contradicts yeah. yeah it's perfect yeah no i got you i got you andrew andrew what's going on oh man there's so much to unpack here let me just read uh jonah's words when he says ah lord was not this what i had what i said yeah. when i was still in my country therefore i fled previously to tarshish for i know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. This is so powerful. Mm. There's so many components to this this little this picture of Jonah because we have to ask ourselves, who is God trying to save? The first thing we say is He's trying to save the people. Is He not trying to save Jonah too? He's trying, he's trying to, to save everyone. He's trying everyone. to save everyone. So yeah. the, the the interesting part about this is that, and I want to make a a, a correlation to this. Uh, another picture. Jesus, God was trying to use, uh, 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 trying to use Jonah as an intercessor, the same way that he did with Moses. When Moses goes to his people to, to God and he tells them not to blot me out of this book, you know, but don't destroy these people. And God says, "What does God say?" Oh, he it says that he changed his mind, right? Mm -hmm. But what was God actually trying to do? Did he? If he really wanted to destroy those people, did he have to did he have to go to Moses or did he have to go to Jonah and let them know, hey, you know, preach his message? If he really wanted to destroy them, he could have just done this and they would have been destroyed. But there was an aspect of God that wanted to get Jonah and Moses involved in this as a picture of Jesus, an intercessor for the people, because God is trying to save all of us. So when God brings wrath, right, and he and he relents from that wrath as because of the repentance. That doesn't mean that those people uh, were saved. They still had the rest of their lives to live. But that was an act to hopefully bring them back to their senses. Right. Sure. We don't know how the rest of their life played out, but it was to give us a wake up call. When we look at uh, uh, God's wrath, we think of it so negatively. But sometimes God's wrath is just so he can point us to his grace. And this is what he was trying to do, not only with those people, with Jonah as well as an intercessor. All these components, he's trying to save all of us. I, I think, look, it's fascinating what you guys are saying right now. Um, the experience of Jonah is very important, obviously, in this case, uh, and, and, and obviously that he's trying to save everyone. Um, I, I think that we have to bring in the idea of conditional prophecy in this conversation for a second. Uh, this would be the same thing that happens uh, with the, with the um, antediluvians as well. Uh, God Sodom and prophesizes something is going to happen. 
but it's conditional. And for the record, many, many of the Old Testament prophecies are conditional prophecies, right? Uh, God says, look, destruction is coming upon you. Destruction is coming upon you. It tells the people, destruction is coming upon you. But if you turn from your evil ways, then I will flip. So there's this conditionality to everything that God says, right? And, and ultimately, the goal of God is to save. So it's interesting because Andrew, I'm, I'm going to take some of the words that you said much earlier when you said that we sometimes take words like the wrath of God and we think of our own wrath and we attribute it to God, right? And we say, look, oh, the wrath of God, therefore he was angry like, like someone who is wrathful. No, that's not the same thing. It's interesting because I think that when you see uh, here, uh, let's, let's, let's place the scenario for a second. Um, when the Israelites end up, when the Jews end up in exile, oppressed by, by the Babylonians, their principal city destroyed. Would you classify that as the wrath of God being manifest among his people? Would you? I'm, I'm asking you guys. Do you guys think that when King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and destroys Jerusalem and takes all the young people captive, was that the wrath of God? Yes or no? I would say that there, there's I believe that's part of it. wrath and grace. Okay. Working in, no, right. right, right, right. But but that's my point, right? We would say wrath, but in manifesting that wrath, his ultimate purpose is still grace. Well, we'll right? use the, was it Joseph's words, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah, and and, and so it's this idea yeah. that when God disciplines for that, God, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. In that scenario, in that scenario with Nebuchadnezzar, the destruction of, of Jerusalem and all that, what if that's not necessarily God's wrath, but more so the consequence of what they had done themselves? I because in that in that moment, I don't necessarily think it was God's wrath. He had already told them what was gonna happen. In all his love and mercy, he's like, Look, this is what's gonna happen if you guys don't follow me. And then sure, that happened. Sure, sure. But 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 you but we have to we have to recognize though that God uses the human element as well oh, to carry yes. out his plans. And, yes. and and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. yeah so so when so when for example um let's just take uh um uh, the the prophet uh not the prophet the uh, high priest eli in the time of samuel right when the ark is taken from the israelites they take it into the into war they lose that war and then all of a sudden it ends up over in the hands of the of the philistines what happens what is going on there it is true their actions led to that mistake and yet God is also using the human element to punish, to castigate, to discipline would be the right word, I think, right? Mm -hmm. To discipline. And so you constantly see God, by the way, I'm, I, and I'll bring up the text in a second. I'll, I'll let you guys chime in and then I'm going to go back to this text. I got to find it. But where God literally says, by the way, if you don't follow my ways, I'm going to go and I'm going to let the other people come in and destroy your land. And, and, and what we're capturing is the wrath of God. And yet the purpose of that is to save it's 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 to it's to bring you back to his grace to say, oh my goodness, Lord, what have we gotten into? I, I gotta get right with yeah, the Lord. And that's what I was saying earlier, that sometimes God has to has to has to I don't even want to say instill, but God uses the element of fear, fear of losing something for you to come back to him. If if well. I, I kind of picture my son and, you know, my five-year-old son, 
if you do this again to your sister, I'm going to have to take away your favorite toy. No, Bobby. No, Bobby. Don't do that. Don't do that. No, no, no. Right. And so all of a sudden now there's a fear instilled in him that if he does something wrong, this is what's going to happen. The consequences are laid out. Now, who has to make the choice? You know what? I get it, man. I'm a, I'm a millennial. And uh, and uh, some people will accuse me of bad parenting and child abuse and this and that because I'm I'm presenting punishment or discipline to my child. But that's the way it works. If you are speeding and the police pulls you over, tell me there isn't a consequence that you know of. Oh, let me just throw in a... Um, I, this is this is my personal opinion, but this is just a modern modern uh, event moment. You guys know about Shikari Richardson, uh, the American sprinter. Uh, mm -hmm. this, this just happened yeah. right today. Okay. Yes. yes she yes. tested positive for THC. She tested positive for smoking marijuana. Okay. And because of that, she may not run in the Olympics. I think she's going to get suspended for at least a month. Now, here's the thing: she's probably the number one person from the u.s right athlete from the u.s to win gold potentially she's she smoked marijuana now some people will say well what's wrong with smoking marijuana there's no big now we not, not from a christian perspective right but some people will say that i would argue she knew the consequences if she knew that smoking marijuana would disqualify her from the olympics why do it now are you going to then say that it's the the you know people are blaming the olympic committee now or, or whoever the anti-doping uh, uh, committees and all that. And they'll say, oh, it was their fault. Why are they doing that to her? No, the rules are laid out for you. You have to choose. This is God, I think, in a nutshell. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I think that's true. You know, um, what, we, what we have in all these different examples is a, is a, is a God that is, uh, like Jonah says, a, a, a merciful, loving kindness, right? And for everything that we, you know, the choices that we make, there are consequences to those to those decisions that we make, and God is always trying to work out good through uh, those different de decisions that we make. And we have His principles laid out here in the Bible clearly for us, right? You know, so it's not that we can say that we haven't uh, um, an excuse, right? It is not for ignorance that they what is it that, that they perish, right? Or what is what is the the scripture? If I'm quoting it wrong, it is for not for a lack of knowledge, knowledge that my, that my people perish, that, yeah. That, that, yeah. that they perish. Right. So it's not because of that, that we lose our salvation. It's not because of that, that, that all these things happen to us. Right. God clearly has his commandments, which, which by the way, are the commandments of love, right. That are pointing to his character, True. right. To, to, to correct us and that we would be uh, one with him. I'm, I'm glad you said that because if you keep on reading um, the, the story of Jonah, the last verse, verse 10, um, starting at verse 10, it says, but the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which I gave, which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in a day. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which more than 120,000 people, persons who cannot discern and much livestock? So it's crazy how much love God has. Because usually we just think about all oh, the people, the people. But God in all of this, he didn't want to destroy the city. Not just because of the people, because even the other animals that he created. So we we always think about just the people, but God thinks about every little thing. He's always his love extends even to that which we wouldn't necessarily think of showing love to all the time necessarily, but even to that point, God's mercy reaches out. 
because it's his creation. It's something that he created, something that came out of him, something that that he thought of and came into existence. And even up to that point, he still, he still, he still, he still would die for for whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the text I was thinking about was Deuteronomy 28. By the way, if you ever get a chance, read Deuteronomy 28. Rough words coming from God, but I think that it points to what God is tr truly, tr truly attempting to do. But it's always to bring you back to his grace. There he says, look, if you don't follow my statutes, if you don't follow my will, if you don't follow my laws, then I'm going to have people come in here. Uh, plagues are going to come over you. And moreover, if you still don't do it, if you still don't come back, then this is going to happen. Then your walls are going to fall and you're going to, people are going to be destroyed. And if that doesn't, and so God is consistently trying to say, look, these bad things happen, not because I want these bad things to happen, but because I want you good things to happen to you. But sometimes the only way that we learn is by pain, right? Sometimes the only way that we learn is when it gets a little rough in our life. And, you know, yeah, God used it. Andrew, yeah. I just wanted to correct correct myself that I, I misquoted the verse, but it says the same, similar, something similar. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they, thou has rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee, thou that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also yeah. forget thy children. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Going along with oh, what we're talking about. Yeah, look, um, I, 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 by the way, uh, we're going to just recognize Marin here. We're going to wrap things up. But God was showing Jonah that even the most evil can turn to him, can repent, in this case, Nineveh. And again, going back to this whole conditional thing, I think that uh, all we're trying to say is that uh, God sometimes uses these things, sometimes these negative things, sometimes even a message like that, hey, it's going to be destroyed in 40 days so that you wake up. And, and I think that there is no change in God when you repent and God says, fine, I won't do it because that's really what God is trying to do. He's trying to save you. He's trying to save you. He's trying to save me. All right. We got, Hey guys, we got to wrap it up, man. This has been a, a honestly a great, great conversation, I think. Uh, and we appreciate all those who have joined us, but uh, very last thing um, I just, I, I, I want to ask, and if this is, uh, if we can answer this as briefly as we can, I'm looking at you, Andrew. I'm looking oh, at myself. No. Okay. <laughs> I'll be quick. All right, all right, here we go. Here we go. But ultimately, right, this idea of God's repentance, what, what does it tell us about his character? If you could just give us a brief synopsis of what we've looked at today, uh, you know, as, as quickly as you can. Andrew, why, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I think this, repent, uh, this tells us about God, that he is love. Ultimately, what the Bible uh, tries to hammer over and over again, right? And if there's anything that I want to be hammered over my head, mm. right? More than the law is that God is love. God is merciful. God is loving kindness, right? And when we see this, you know, when the Bible talks about this, that God grieves, you know, in his repentance and all these different things, this to me shows a God that wants to interact with us. Yeah. A God yeah. that, that, that cares about the choices that we make, that cares about communicating truth to us, that cares about having a relationship with us and wants us to be in, in, in the, I guess in the happiest versions of ourselves, which is sure. connection with him. Sure. Sure. Uh, Jason, what about you? Uh, briefly, what, what ultimately does all this conversation tell us about God's character? Yeah. Same thing that it, it's just love. The God just loves us so much that he's, he's willing to do every single little thing until we take our last breath until it's literally impossible for him to do anything anymore. 
because it's not our choice anymore. For it. He puts every single little thing that he can in our way to help us make that decision, to take that decision. That, that's how much he loves us. He, he yeah. just can't. He can't just let us go. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll, I'll say the same thing. Look, I believe what Exodus 34 says, at, that, that God is first and foremost merciful, loving. That is actually who he is. And, and even when we see God's, what well, we have said, wrath, when we have seen God's judgment, his discipline, uh, up until this moment, all of that has been used to bring us back to him uh, when we go astray. But I, I got I to gotta say this, though. There will come a time when that's going to be too late. And this is the moment to get right with the Lord. This is the moment to, 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 to bring to bring yourself back to God because God is there. Open arms. Uh, I was it you, Andrew, that mentioned Jerusalem, Jerusalem, like Jesus is there. And you can kind of just feel that, 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 that God is just looking down. Jesus looking down. He's like, man, I, I've tried everything and you don't want it. So what else has to happen? Fine. I will die for you. I will die for you, and 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 the Son of God will give up his life. Will that be enough? And I, I just want to encourage everybody, let that be enough, right? Jesus died for you on the cross. He's paid for, for you everything that you need. Hey, go back. He is a loving God. He is a God who does not change in that aspect. Uh, my brothers, hey, look, honestly, I think we could continue for like another hour and a half on all this because it's, it's uh, and there's some many, many <laughs> other scenarios. We got more conversations coming up in regards to the issues of scripture. If you've ever asked yourself about uh, the question of slavery in the Bible, we're going to be talking about that. Genocide in the Bible, we're going to be talking about that. Bible translations, how to study the Bible. Why do we even have those books of the Bible? Because, you know, Catholic Bible has a few more books. We're going to be talking about that as well. So we hope that all of this is going to be a blessing. If you haven't done so, hey, share this conversation with others. Hit that share button. Hit that like button if you're on Facebook. Uh, is it a like button on YouTube? I have no idea. But but whatever it is, all right. Uh, boost boost our posts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sub subscribe. <laughs> you know what what whatever we can to get the word out. And we want to thank everybody that was joining us. Uh, Martin Zelaya, we missed him. We said great talk, my brothers. God bless you guys. Uh, Chris Lopez enjoyed the conversation as well. Michelle Elliott says he is an awesome and forgiving God, and because just because he is God. In fact, I'm going to end Love it right it. there. So, uh, perfect way. Uh, Jason, will you lead us in a final word of prayer? Yeah. Let's pray, guys. Father God, I have nothing more to say, Lord, than to say thank you. Thank you for how merciful you are with us. Uh, we we saw tonight through our, throughout our conversation, Lord, that no matter how hard things get, no matter how upset you seem at us, Lord, you still always manage and you always find the way to try to reach out to us. You, you keep trying to work in our lives up until that very last moment, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you open to, to all our viewers live and to those that will watch us, Lord, that you open our eyes and that you let us, you let us see you, Lord. That you let us see that you're working in our lives to, to try to reunite, reunite us with you once again, Lord. You're a God that's not just... That didn't just make us just to be here, Lord. You made a God. You made, you're a God that made us because you want to interact with us. You love your your sons and daughters, Lord. I hope that you make us realize this, Lord. And if any of the of our viewers or those that will watch are going through a hard time believing in you, Lord, may these conversations be that pinnacle point to where they turn to you. May they may they be helpful for them in their in their walk with you, Lord. Uh, please let us enjoy the rest of your Sabbath, Lord. 
And thank you so much for sending Jesus to die for us on the cross. I ask for all these things in your name I pray. Amen. 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 Jason, thank you so much for opening and closing our conversation in prayer. And to everybody again watching us, thank you so much for being part of our conversation today. Uh, we appreciate you supporting us. Uh, again, we hope that this is going to be something beneficial, not only for you, but for others as well in your life. Uh, and we want to remind you that you can listen to this conversation on Spotify. It'll be up there shortly. Uh, and you, you, and if all goes well in two weeks, we will be back here again with another conversation. Keep it on that Instagram post. Uh, you'll see it there. Outside of that, the only thing we can tell you is when you see these contradictions in God or apparent contradictions and you're like, what's going on? Hey, don't freak out. Five words for you. Keep calm and Advent on. Don't ever forget that God is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always love. Bank on that. He'll be coming soon for us as well. God bless. Have a great night. Have a great Sabbath. We'll see you on the next one.